welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. Today, we're continuing our coverage of Star Trek Las Vegas 2018. As a reminder, we're giving away an Eagle Moss 10-inch XL Voyager replica. This is one of the ships that was on our table at Star Trek Las Vegas as our presence there was sponsored by Eagle Moss. So to enter this giveaway, just send us an email to crew at womenatwarp.com with the subject Voyager and tell us what Captain Janeway was famously looking for in that nebula. Entries will remain open through September 4th. Now on to the con. I was fortunate enough to get a few moments each with Marina Sirtis, Gates McFadden, and Denise Crosby on Saturday in the vendor's room. So you'll be hearing those chats first, and then we'll go right into the Women in Trek panel from Thursday afternoon, which included myself, Amy Imhoff, Sarah Gouldy, Aliza Pearl, Mary Chifo, and Marina Sirtis. Hi, how are you Hi, doing? Good. Thank you for doing this. No worries. Um, so... Very early on, uh, I know that you and Denise were auditioning for different roles yeah. on Next Gen. Each other's roles. Yes. Yeah. How do you think you would have approached the role of Tashi Yar? Um, well, probably quite differently to yeah. Denise because, you know, we're different people and you always bring an element of yourself to a role. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I would have maybe been a little... I don't know, a little bit more emotional than she was. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, because that's just who I am as a person. But, you know, at this point, I actually am glad it turned out the way it did. Yeah. Yeah. And still very early on, I know you've spoken before about the relationship you had with Majel and how she sort of coached you through the early years of Next Gen. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about well, she that she kind of yeah well they kind of adopted me because um, I was literally fresh off the boat when I got Star Trek and so as well as mentoring me on on a certain level the Roddenberries kind of took me into their family and I still call Rod bro and he calls me sis um, she was she really helped me I mean there was a time in that first season where. She went out of her way to make sure that um, I knew what to expect, um, that I went, started doing conventions to build up my fan base, um, how I should go about it all. So she really guided me through the whole, the kind of complexities of, the, of fandom. Mm-hmm. How do you think over the last 30 years of doing conventions, have they changed? Have the fans changed? No, the fans have always been great. Um, I mean, what's changed is that they're more kind of Comic-Con-ish now. So, um, I mean, we used to come in, do a Q&A, Q&A sign for a couple of hours and then be on our way, and now we're here all day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much the only difference. But the fans have always been amazing. You know, these are the best fans in the history of show business, so you can never, you can never fault the fans. Well, you said on the panel yesterday that uh, Picard would often ask Troy's advice and then ignore it. But it made me think of The Child, which I know you said is one of your favorites because you finally got to do things. Um, But that meeting that Troy's co-workers are having about her sudden pregnancy, as if they should have an An opinion opinion. at all. Well, isn't that the world we're living in now with a bunch of old white guys deciding what women can and can't do with their bodies? It's true. Well, what's really powerful about that scene is as soon as you had the line of, I'm keeping this baby... 
the conversation stopped. Right. Was that was that there from the beginning? Do you remember how I that do, came about? I do remember that. And this is obviously something that I feel very strongly about, mm -hmm. a woman's right to decide what she does with her body. I'm very pro-choice. Um, but pro-choice means you can choose to keep your baby. Yes. Doesn't mean you always choose to abort, you right. know? Yeah. So um, I, I felt very strongly about that. I felt very strongly that once she made that decision, she shouldn't have to justify it. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought it, I thought that was a great episode for that for those reasons that everyone else had an opinion over what she should and shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. You know, especially Worf. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Um, while we're in your autograph line, I don't want to take up all your time, so I have one final question, which is Worf or Riker? Riker. <laughs> Always. <laughs> 99. Actually, 99.999% of the time. The 0.01% the or 0.001% is the fact that, you know, Dorney's my best friend and I've got to leave just a, like a smidgen, a smidgen of hope for him. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, darling. Hi, Gates. Well, hello there. <laughs> How's it going? It's going great. So, I have some questions about early Star Trek. I know it's a while ago, but um, I've been talking, I talked to Maureen a little earlier about her casting, and I know you've talked in the past about how you thought Crusher was going to be the comedic role. Right, yeah. Um, Boy, was I wrong, right? Okay. <laughs> did you try to bring that to Yeah, I did. that it wasn't I written? did, but I don't think that's what... They, I think, to be honest, I think that some of the writers uh, might have been like, well, we don't really want a mother to be a certain way. And it's just like even when you'd go in in Hollywood, I could do pratfalls in high heels mm -hmm. and people would freak out. Whereas if a guy would do a pratfall, they would think it's hilarious. Right. And so I think there's certain things that people had just in their heads that someone who's a mother is not going to do that or whatever. And so, yeah, it was very tough, but I got in uh, some stuff for uh, The Big Goodbye. Mm -hmm. They let me add some comedy. Mm -hmm. And day to day, I, those were the two times where I was allowed to add comedy. And The Naked Now was the, the one I auditioned for. Yes. So they loved the comedy I did there, although I got into trouble for unzipping my jumpsuit because zippers <laughs> weren't supposed to be in existence. Right. But, uh, you know, I mean... Um, yeah, I, I think that's partly what it was, but one of the things I've done all my life, and I, I mean, I've taught comedic work uh, at a lot of theater conservatories, I love it, and I, I wish I wish I could uh, have used it more, yeah, it would have been fun, but whatever, it was a great role, and uh, I had a great ride. Well, and you mentioned Wesley, but it seems like every time there's parenting being done, it's being done by Riker or Picard. Well, that, that was one of the reasons I think I got fired, is I complained about that, but, um, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> What are you going to say? Right. I don't want to... I'm so lucky I got the job. Yes, you can't always get what you want. And uh, I had no idea how to do politics. Uh, I probably still don't. Um, but, that, yeah, I think it was, it was kind of silly that I didn't have scenes with other female characters unless we were in, you know, dancing outfits or uh, Tasha Yara. We didn't even really have a scene one-on-one. -on -one. So, but that's, you know, now it's different. It's better. And look at Shanique was doing an amazing job, and and um, I just I love I love the women on that show, and I love the men on that show, and they're very uh, they seem so chill, and mm -hmm. it doesn't seem it seems like a really gender equal show. It does, doesn't it? It's cool, yeah. isn't it? Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, honey.
So Denise, thank you so much for talking to me today. It is my pleasure. So I chatted with Marina earlier about how you two were auditioning for each other's roles. So I was wondering how you think you might have approached the role of Troy. Wow, um, that's really oh, an interesting question. Um, I haven't really given it much thought. Um, I would. The original kind of design of Troy was um, a, a very um, uh, ethereal, um, like sort of Scan Scandinavian kind of ice queen um, that was, uh, you know, very, very psychic and, and um, really operating from a kind of um, a little more spiritual uh, vibration. It, so that's, I, I don't know where that would have, you know, manifested itself and, you know, where that, who knows, you know. Um, but that's that was a, 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 the original concept of the character. So, wow. so I know also in the first season, it's TNG had some relatively famous turmoil behind the scenes. How did that affect you guys in the cast? Well, I mean, we we bonded with each other, in, and and it's sort of as a united front. And we we had so little control over what was going on behind the scenes. It was a lot of upheaval in terms of um, finding writing staff, and writers were kind of cycling in and out. And um, you know, my concern um, in that first season, and which ultimately led me to make the decision to leave, was just that. Where, where is the writing headed? You know, what are you doing with this big ensemble cast? And when Gene Roddenberry himself finally told me that um, it wouldn't be multiple storylines, that he was really going to adhere to like the template that he had set with the first Star Trek, the original Star Trek, I just television was changing at that point in the in the late '80s, and you were having shows like. Um, Hill Street Blues and, and that were having multiple storylines going on and that's how I thought it was going to unfold. Right. And so, <clears throat> is it right that you were able to pitch Sela? Yes, I did when pitch Sela. to come back? Yes, yes. yes. Um, the idea behind Sela kind of um, formed out of uh, yesterday's Enterprise, mm -hmm. the episode where I was back and, and my um, it was established that Tasha had a love interest in Lieutenant Castillo. And my original idea was that Sela was um, the offspring of Lieutenant Castillo mm -hmm. and, and Tasha Yar. And that she was saved and raised Romulan. Um, I really was sort of like riffing off of Dances with Wolves at that point. And um, I pitched this idea, and the producers kind of went, well, that's interesting, let me think about it. And then a couple months later came back and said, you know, we're going to go with this idea. But it's going to be half Romulan, not Lieutenant Castillo's um, child. So. so is it strange? I guess, how do you feel about the implication in that, that Tasha, that this child, the Sila character, is the product of perhaps a non-consensual relationship on Tasha's part? Oh, to put it kindly. Yes, there, there's um, not an implication, yeah. it's a fact. Um, it's, uh, you know, that, that's why I was so happy and I, I was looking forward to this, you know, huge character and story arc that would involve Sila. And I, I'm, I'm sorry that they didn't develop that further because I think the, the, uh, 
the potential for storytelling was was really great. That you know, this woman was in such denial of her of her human side, and um, it, I'm, I'm sure part of that was self protection. And um, but she began to learn by by her contact with the with the crew and she began to soften and explore this part of herself and, and I think eventually I always saw Sila as a potential bridge to peace with the Romulans. Okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. Thank you so much. Of course. right into it. We're going to talk today a little bit about another facet of women in Star Trek. We've had so many awesome panels here over the years, and I'm so glad everyone has turned out to watch us one more time. And we're going to start talking about what it's like to be an alien woman on the bridge, or an alien woman in the room with a whole bunch of Klingons. <laughs> so let's start right out. We're going to kick it off. I'm going to ask Marina. So women who are aliens are often depicted as the other, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so frequently their bodies are what are kind of used to amplify this otherness, like your emotional state, you know, coming in and talking about how your view of Troy has evolved as being an alien woman and one of the only women on the bridge. You know, I have to be honest, I didn't really regard myself as alien because I was half human and only my eyes were alien, so I used to forget that I was alien. Um, yeah, I think because I, I think basically the only alien thing that I had that was different was that I had a power, but I had a superpower that the others didn't have. Um, but yeah, I didn't really, yeah, it, I'm probably not the right person to put this question to. Well, we're going to go to Mary in a second, who's yeah, all alien. Yeah, I was going to say, Mary's <laughs> probably... Mary, Mary, because I, I wasn't treated any different. I didn't feel like it was a thing for my character because I didn't have to wear prosthetics. When I did have to wear prosthetics, I did turn into the psycho bitch from hell. 
because I, I don't know how you do it. Well, that's a I good really example of using, of using like your body uh, to depict otherness and depict, you know, the way the, the, uh, you know, an antagonist on the show, like the bad guy of the week would kind of like interact with Troy. Yeah, well, they were interacting, yeah. Um, it, was, it was like once I lost weight, I was always the body that was inhabited. Yeah, you got inhabited by the evil yeah. When I was chunky the in the first season, you were never chunky. I was I was a bit chunky in the first season. Oh, well, that's what they told Body me. Body positivity. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I was told constantly that I looked fat in the first season. So um, yeah, times have changed. You can't say that to actresses anymore. Yes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I just did, I didn't feel other. And also on my, my crew, we were just so bonded that um, I never felt apart really at all. That's great to hear. Well, with you mentioned Troy's difference, her otherness being her superpower, but so often in Next Generation, we see her not so much using that superpower, but having it uh, be hijacked. Yeah, uh, mind raped. Yeah, many, couple of times, yeah. That's what I said, you know, once I'd gotten skinny. Well, instead uh, of a superpower, it's almost like it ended up being an extra Achilles heel. Yeah, I actually, I actually made the decision that I had a switch that I could turn it on and off. Because I thought, if you are constantly bombarded with emotions, you'd, I would, being the psychologist, I would have ended up on the shrink's couch, you know. So I, I made that decision very early on that um, I had to kind of go to that place for it to, almost like going into, like a medium going into a trance, but not obvious like that. But I did think, okay, unless it's a really strong emotion coming at me, um, I can decide when I want to do it or not. And it also worked with the storylines because sometimes she could sense people you know, a million miles away and couldn't sense the person standing next to her, you know, so <laughs> it worked for the stories as well. And Mary, so Laurel is the only Discovery lady who is fully alien that we see regularly. Um, so how do you think she, like, wields that power, you know, both kind of like, a, it's both an emotional power over Ash slash Vok and a political power? Well, uh, I really love that we're, we're making this discussion so much about the being an alien woman because that was a huge theme that really drove me through the entire first season was the empathy I was able to have for Laurel was she grew up in Klingon culture she's known nothing else except what has been taught to her specifically by Takuvma about who the Federation is and who humans are um, I have found that particularly her relationship with her sensuality is something that obviously was very um present throughout the first season. And I found as a Puritan American, my relationship with that side of myself was very, very repressed. And what I had to find in portraying those scenes between Vogue and Laurel and then ultimately Vogue and, I mean, Laurel and Tyler was that she was expressing genuine love, but in a Klingon way. And I think that it's a very, um, extreme uh, take on that, but that's what uh, sci-fi is about. It's mythology. And certainly with the Klingons, they are so epic. They are so Shakespearean. They're so Greek that um, I was very thrilled to be able to 
expend all of my energy trying to embody that side of her. Um, but that's something she struggles with. And then ultimately, when it comes to her alienness, I think part of her difference or unique quality as a character within the Klingon world is that there is a softness and a vulnerability to her that is seeking to come out. And that was something that was ripped from the fabric of my own life as someone who is six feet tall. And oftentimes if people see me from a distance, think I'm like going to crush them or do, you know, or tall or, lady. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you think she feels like alone kind of in her quest? Absolutely. Well, I think it's very, very um, evident when Burnham gives her the detonator and her response is, but I am no one. Um, I think that that expresses a lot about her journey. And what's so interesting is from the human perspective, from Tyler's perspective, from pretty much anyone on Discovery, she's like this antagonistic force, this malicious force. Um, and in the Klingon world, you see her relationship with Cole. She hid behind Takuvma. She tried to execute this whole plan behind Voke because within the Klingon society, she's been told that she is inferior, and that's why she behaves the way she does. That's why she is so mysterious. That's why, you know, she's descended from spies, House Mokai, and I wonder why House Mokai, which has a very strong matriarchal um, component, is known for that. Like, where did they build that reputation? Who's spreading those rumors about who the Mokai are? You're definitely going to talk about the yeah. matriarchal <laughs> situation. Um, Aliza, did you want to weigh in on this, like, female otherness and, like, kind of viewing these two different alien women? Yeah, I think... I think Troy and Laurel are really amazing benchmarks, too, for us to see how far we've come in terms of portraying otherness, because, I mean, Star Trek has always been ahead of the curve. I think um, this franchise has been ahead of its time in showing otherness and showing people who are bicultural um, and who are kind of like stuck between cultural influences and feeling like they have to navigate those things. As someone who grew up that way, I really definitely appreciate seeing those representations in Star Trek. And so it's interesting to see Troy, who, as we said, um, her power was often turned against her a lot. Like, it's cool to see that. It's cool to see it sometimes, but it felt like it was used a lot as the for the character. Um, Seeing, but and also seeing her as a strong, um, graceful, uh, empathetic person among people who really need that anchor. That's a beautiful thing to see. And then to see Laurel, who is very different in so many ways, but still embodies a lot of amazing qualities that um, I think a lot of people can look up to. You know, I don't want to say in spite of, but maybe because of these comp these like very specific complications with her character. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I just, I'm excited to see more of, of Laurel and, and see where the character goes. If she can own her, you know, who she is and not think that she's no one anymore. <laughs> exactly, and I am really thrilled that uh, I, I can vaguely say that they're diving in and I'm really excited for what's to come. Sarah, how about you? I just wanna say I really enjoyed seeing Laurel meet Admiral Cornwell Yes. And I feel, that was the first human she met, right? Mm -hmm. And I felt like she really let down her walls. And you, you got to see these two very different women connect. Yeah. I found that, well, I, I say that scene we have in episode 14 um, is essentially the reason I am open enough to Burnham's generosity in the finale, is that we actually hear each other. I respect her enough. I say, Takuvma taught us that... Um, 
that humans are without honor about this, he was wrong. I admit that I'm wrong. I'm a Klingon and I admit that I'm wrong because I respect this woman because she screamed back at me. And I think that, yeah, Admiral Cornwell, I think you, she, Laurel really views her as an equal, yeah. which, is, which is great to be able to kind of bring that, that Starfleet Klingon to, and channel it through two very cool women. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't usually see that. I think that's a great theme in the whole show from the very first scene. It's women empowering other women. From the very first scene all the way through to Laurel at the end. That's, that's something I love so much about the show. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, did you want to add anything? Sure. Um, I'd like to speak to uh, TNG a little bit. Um, that, that is the Star Trek that I grew up with. That is the Star Trek that is part of my soul. Uh, but as a woman in science and math, I feel we always talk about the gender disparity on the Enterprise D. Um, we have our, our counselor and we have our doctor, and those are the only women that we see all the time. But in, in the fields I was in, I went to a school, a college that was 60% women. And in my classes, I was one of two in my fields. So it was, it was really interesting to see it shift in such a way when you get into science and math. And that reflects in the next generation. And I feel like in fan culture, we have also, fan culture and culture in general, we have moved to a world where, as women, we're encouraging other women rather than competing with them. And I think that is also reflected in discovery. And it's a wonderful thing to see. I also think that um, the way you know, Troy is grounded in science, um, in psychology, and also if you read the books, you know, she had a background in botany, which is, you know, it's very cool to kind of see that woman be on the bridge. I did. And, you know, <laughs> yes. Surprise. <laughs> I was a botanist as well as a psychologist. In, in one of the books, it, really? it talks about how it, Troy's kind background. It's ironic because I can kill a plant. <laughs> I can also kill a plant, so I, I sympathize with that. But um, I wanted to know like, what the challenges you felt were of portraying like, the very emotional, you know, the, for, um, for Mary, like, the very emotional scenes with Ash, and then for Troy, the very emotional scenes of dealing with some of these, like, Monsters of the week, basically. You know, these guys that would come in. It was always, you know, a man inflicting the violence. Well, um, I'm of Greek heritage. And so between the Greek part of me and the English part of me, there is not a molecule of Puritanism. (laughs) (laughs) And those who know me know that. (laughs) I am the opposite of that. I'm telling every 21-year-old... You're in Vegas. Go have too much fun. Make me proud. Right? So, but for me, because of, I mean, because of the Greek part of me, I mean, I just do this and the emotions are there. You know, I mean, really, it, it, the, the problem with me is trying to keep emotions back because I, I'm just one big emotion, generally. And I find as an actor, sometimes it's better to try and hold the tears back and try and hold, hold it back, as one would in real life. Yeah. You don't go around blubbering, you know, try and hold it back. And then that empowers the audience to cry. Mm-hmm. If you're doing all the crying for them, then they kind of, they miss that connection. So for me, it was the opposite of Mary. It was like, okay, I have to, Troy isn't me. We're, as I've said before, the only thing we have in common is we're the same height. Um, so it was more of like being true to Troy, who was a little more, you know, Starfleet. 
yeah, a little more Starfleet, a little less football hooligan. And, um, <laughs> you know, so it was being true to the character, whereas Maureen, I, if, it, if I was playing me, it would have been even more, you know, emotion, really. How about you, Mary? Um, I would like to say, I mean, I, I love hearing that because I agree, and I feel like that is so present in your performance. You, you see this, all of this amazing energy contained within this thing, and I think that's, a, that's what's always so intriguing to an audience. Oh, thank you. you know, is, is... She's my new favorite person. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because um, my relationship with that is partly because of the prosthetics. Um, I can't hold back of anything. Well, it, like in episode 12, with, uh, when Saru beams Tyler in and he falls in my arms and we were trying to create this like Klingon Pieta and I was like sobbing. But you can't see it that well because of all the prosthetics. So I really had to just trust that I had to go to those extremes because only so much was gonna come out of the prosthetic. And also crying in a prosthetic, I don't recommend it. Um, literally James McKinnon, who's our prosthetic head, had to like come in between takes and just like put a tissue on my face. Cause it can't really blow your nose. You can't really, it's just kind of like. Ah, Plus okay. it's very physical. You have to like show it more with movement rather yes. than like facial. Yeah. Well something, particularly early on when the armor, the armor got progressively more malleable. And then I was in the jail suit, which Mary Wiseman always teased me as like, that's your comfy outfit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, that near the beginning, most of my articulation had to come from my head. And I've talked about the fact that um, because I had that huge ridge, I found that when I was thinking, turning it back and forth was a way of articulating that. And it felt, you know, there's such a reptilian uh, feline quality to the, the Klingons, certainly with this design. And then I spoke to Neville Page, our, our creature designer, and he was like, yeah, your sensors are stronger back there. And I was like, oh, well, great. Uh, so then you'll notice around like episode eight, suddenly I'm like, mm, 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 all over the place. Like, oh, yes, yes. Like in the scene with Cornwell at the end when I'm like, what other option do you have? Think. Aliza, <laughs> um, you're an actress too. And I would like to get your thoughts on, on um, kind of articulating that emotion. And That's amazing. I haven't done, uh, I've done like, a little bit of prosthetic work, but it's not, you know, not to that level <laughs> by any means. Um, I mean, I think I definitely resonate with what Marina's saying about, um, like, the way that I've studied, we call it, like, keeping a lid on a boiling pot. And it's mm -hmm. just kind of, you you have the emotion churning inside you, and you, for whatever reasons, whether it's trying to save face or you have pride or shame or trying to not hurt someone else with your emotions, you're keeping it inside. And I think that's what really has worked for me um, in terms of connecting with a character. Yeah. So. And Sarah and Sue, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on how it was like, um, you know, growing up and watching these emotional scenes. You know, um, I started watching Next Generation when I was seven years old. And whenever Troy or Crusher were, were very upset or there was a scene, you know, where they were attacked in some way, it made me feel very emotional as a child to watch that. And, you know, like, oh, you know, even watching, um, you know, in on Voyager, if when Captain Janeway died, not really, that was, and she was at her own funeral, I was, I was so upset. And to watch the actresses, like, like um, portraying that emotion and then you feeling it, like you said, you want the audience to cry. It was, it was um, you know, it was very effective, I think, in terms of, shaping the way I view these women. 
So maybe you could too could weigh in on what you thought when you would when you would watch it. You know, thinking back on it, I think I related a lot more to Major Kira because if you got in her face, she was going to get right back in yours. I think that's, that's something I can relate <laughs> that's to. That's good. Bit no, more. it's interesting to see who we identify with um, more, you know, and, and I identified more with, with Troy than with Crusher because I also was an emotional child. I think that that was, that was a big part of it. How about you, Sue? Well, I think that this is another area where Next Gen was really groundbreaking because we can joke about it now, like how they put a therapist on the ship, but that's so important. Emotional intelligence is so incredibly important, and I feel like Troy taught an entire generation about empathy. Well, you know, it was interesting that you say that because um, when I spoke to Gene about it when I was cast, he said that, you know, by the 24th century, emotional health would be as important as physical health. But then when they were, when they were realizing halfway through the first season that they had too many women on the show, who were they going to fire? The therapist, right? <laughs> it's like, at that point, it was, she was expendable because she was just a therapist. You know, they weren't going to get rid of... I mean, Denise left the show, but they weren't going to get rid of the security chief and they weren't going to get rid of the doctor. So, so much for health in the 24th century. <laughs> so I do still have to get it. And I, I have to remind you all that it was a 24th century show written by 99.9% .9 of, you know, 20th century men. Yeah. Right? You have to bear that in mind when you're watching TNG. You know, we know it's supposed to be in the 24th century, but most of it was written by 20, 20th century men. Yeah. I, and if Can I may, I? the women of, of Next Gen... I think are now often dismissed by some people saying, well, they're in the nurturing roles, yeah. as if that is something that's not important. Mm -hmm. I mean, your doctor is important. Your doctor treating you with care is important. Any plus-sized person who's ever been to the doctor can tell you horror stories about your pain not being taken seriously. Any woman can yeah. tell you horror stories about your pain not being taken. Yeah, my, mom had, my mom had endometriosis, and she had a giant tumor, and they didn't find it because the doctor just said, oh, it's just, you know, it's just your time of the month. And she was like, no, I think something's wrong. Maybe you should just lose five pounds, and everything will be fine. Yeah, you know. And it's, and it's so important, too, because we see TNG dealing with PTSD far in advance. And now almost every show will have some characters. That's like an emotional, you know, way of struggling with PTSD as like an emo as character growth. That was kind of new at the time though for like TNG and then, you know, Kira with PTSD on DS9. You know, those those were groundbreaking in terms of talking about mental health. But I mean, the women of Next Gen took care of your physical body and your emotional health. And nothing is more important than that. So if if you want to dismiss that as a nurturing role, Maybe you need to be nurtured a little bit more, I guess. <laughs> yes. Well, this is a good jumping off point because now we're going to talk about how the women take on the patriarchy and what it means to be the only woman in the room, which is often the case for a lot of us in our professional lives and our personal lives. And I want everyone to kind of weigh in on, you know, Troy comes from a matriarchal home. Laurel is from a matriarchal house. You know, we want to talk about the power that women can wield and the ways in which sometimes that power is, is, you know, try, is squashed sometimes by the patriarchy. So go to town, ladies. <laughs> well, they've tried to squash. But I generally find that men are terrified of me. So... <laughs> and I love that about you. You know that, right? Yes, they're terrified yeah. of me too. Yeah, men I'm are terrified of me. Tall, I feel well, most it. people are terrified of me, actually, because I just tell it like it is. 
Um, so I've never really had that issue, I have to be honest, of the patriot. I mean, we're not going to Me Too. We're talking just patriarchy now, right? Well, I mean, Troy was often the only woman on the bridge. Yeah. After and, Denise left. And, you know, um, yes, he always, old Baldy, sorry, Sir Old Baldy would... <laughs> would ask my opinion about things and then he'd ignore me and then I was always right at the end of the episode. So that, yeah. that's just life, Very right? Very life, yeah. Okay, who's married? That's just life, right? Girls, <laughs> right, yeah. So, um, so I, never felt, I never felt that I was in that position. First of all, I felt, and it was said to me, I mean, I didn't make this up, but... LeVar said it to me, actually. And he said, you know, you're the glue that holds it all together. On the, on the bridge and off, you know, off in scene. life. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it's I Very think often that, though, you know, I have a lot of guy friends. And it's, it's often that, you know, myself and the other girls in our group, you know, we keep everyone together. We make sure we right. see each other. We make sure we have phone calls and texts. Right. That's just how, you know, women are just, they do that. Yeah, women do do that. And I'm, I'm, and the other thing is, I don't fear anyone. I have no fear in me, apart from my sister-in-law. But that's a whole other story. Um, but uh, she's the only person I'm scared of on the planet. So um, being as I don't have fear of men and I don't have fear of other people, I don't know that, um, that I've ever kind of experienced what you're talking about. Who else wants to weigh in? I'll, um, I'll say, well, yeah, my experience growing up, I felt very grateful that I, every environment I sort of entered, whether it was my parents or um, the different array of schools I, I went to <laughs> in my youth. Um, that you were expelled or you were in the military? Because <laughs> I wasn't satisfied with oh, the... Okay. Well, it was interesting. Each I always say with so many aspects of my life, but with each schooling, it was like, it was what was presented at the time. Did you ever go to an old girls' school? No. See, I went to an old girls' school. I did too. 11, I went to an all girls' high school. You went to an all girls' school? Three. From yeah. 11 to 18, I was just with girls, mm -hmm. and that, I, I always recommend to parents to send their kids I to do single too. sex. I thought girls. it was very beneficial. Really beneficial, made relationships with women that I still have 50 years later. Mm -hmm. um, and you learn how to be without worrying about what the boys are going to say mm -hmm. and what the boys are going to yeah. think of you. It's so destructive yeah. to young girls. I don't, I, I don't approve of co-ed education at all because boys are a pain in the ass until they're grown up. <laughs> in high school, they really I think are. They really, their brains important. haven't developed until yeah. they're like 25. So you shouldn't yeah. put them with girls because yeah. yeah. we develop much sooner than that. Yeah. And that's well, my opinion. Yeah. Well, I will say that, yeah, the, even though I didn't... Um, I was always in co-ed education. That was something that somehow I just am grateful that there was enough in me. And I think because my parents really, really just, I'm an only child too. So that's, that's a whole, that's a whole panel. But, <laughs> but the way in which it's certainly when I went home, it was like there were no boundaries to what I was capable of. And they were always encouraging if I was excited about one thing or the other, and very creative environment. And then luckily, you know, I found, I always said my friends were few and far between, but the ones that I had really stuck. And luckily, I mean, of course, I did witness, you know, stuff in middle school and high school, but there were enough good people that I'm so grateful that the universe conspired to have in my life. Um, but even with that, um, I, I, what I will also say that 
when I, for college, I was at Juilliard and the teachers did not say, hey, you're six feet tall, you're all this stuff. They were like, the only way you're going to become a successful actress is by diminishing yourself. In fact, the first year I was there, um, I would apologize either physically or verbally. I would say like, well, I don't know. I'd say something really articulate and then they'd be, and then I'd be like, well, I mean, like, uh, and my voice and speech teachers every day were like, no, you're not allowed to apologize. And they cast me in male Shakespeare roles. They gave me the older women parts, the queens, and they just perpetually, I was like, let me play Alma in Summer and Smoke. They're like, no, you have to be grounded in yourself. And that was an incredible, incredible gift. Um, but then of course, entering the real world, as much as I really do believe we've made so much progress, it's still confronting the things that um, initially uh, I was getting called in for, that they were very kind of specific, nothing you know, romantic, because I couldn't be taller than the guy, God forbid. God actors forbid. are very, Hollywood actors tend to be on the short Yeah. Side. <laughs> um, but that was part of the beauty of, um, of Laurel, was that romance that we found in the episode, in four, that wasn't necessarily planned. Um, I was just really grateful that that side of myself, which I feel is what I generally lead with in life, um, got to be articulated within such a fearsome character. But that's a very, <laughs> that took your question and went all different directions. But <laughs> okay. Well, in, in terms of our, the, you know, our, our fan experts up here, I kind of wanted you guys to talk more about, you know, your experiences being, you know, women, but, but also very active in fandom and, you know, which is typically a male dominated space, but we're changing that. And also as professional women, um, you know, if you've experienced that as well. Well, first of all, Star Trek fandom has never been a male dominated space. <laughs> Not like video games, right? But, um, sorry, I'm jumping the panel a little bit. But uh, I just wanted go to Sue, bring go. into the realm of fandom. I started getting really active in fandom right when it sort of started moving online. So I was on Usenet, I was in Alt Star Trek Creative, and I found a community of women in the, in the uh, fan fiction community, and there were almost relationships that developed of mentorship. And because the fan fiction was so women dominated, there, that judginess that you fear um, when you, the, the, the gatekeeping, the pass this quiz was not there. And I, there were women that sort of took me under their wing in fandom 20, 25 years ago who remained mentors in other parts of my life. You know, if I'm I had so a hard jealous time, of you. I did not experience that. <laughs> it was, it, it's so sad that it doesn't seem to exist the same way anymore. Is there a way we can recreate that? I would love to. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there. if I had a hard time with a college course, I would call my mom, sure, but I would also call a friend of mine, a Star Trek friend, who had been through it and was a, a professional working in a field for a long time. You know, these were women who worked at JPL. These are women who were attorneys. These are women who had any kind of profession that there was. And it was just this amazing community of, of growth. And when you go into other spaces, there is this, well, are you really a fan? Prove yourself. Answer these trivia questions. And um, just really quickly, and then I'm going to stop. I have a rather large Star Wars tattoo right here <laughs> it's princess leia it's princess leia it's carrie fisher um and every year when the weather warms up it gets noticed i live in new york people see me on the subway and undoubtedly people ask me if i'm even a star wars fan 
No, I put her on my leg for life because I'm not a fan. This took five (laughs) hours and a lot of money and a lot of pain just so I could impress you. It is random stranger. It's so maddening. Look at Marina. She's like, oh my God. The the mental. Star Trek's on the other side. The the like hoops that people go through in their minds to figure out how, like you can't be a fan. I I was in, um, I I think I got into a lift going to Comic-Con this year and I'm pretty sure I had like a Black Panther t-shirt and Star Trek earrings or you know things that clearly were like nerd and I get in the lift and the driver's like oh yeah you're not you're not going to comic-con right I was like that's exactly where I'm going and I don't like that tone what is that about I get I get a lot oh you're here with your husband I go no no he's here with me (laughs) actually it was kind of like that it it was kind of like that with gargoyles when we did gargoyles when Johnny and I did gargoyles thank you um and, you know, and I know he didn't mean it, but Johnny, because, you know, he's an old white person. Um, we're all old, apart from, you know, Dorney and LeVar. We're all old white people um, now. But he would go around saying, well, you know, uh, Demona is uh, Xanatos' sidekick. And I'm like, excuse, excuse me. Excuse, uh, the show is called Gargoyles. Demona's a gargoyle. <laughs> You're a stupid human, right? <laughs> so, um, who is whose sidekick here, Buster, right? Very nice. Yeah. How about so, you, Sarah? Well, first, talking about the business side, um, I work in finance, and I found that, yes, corporate, corporate business is very patriarchal, so I left and I work for myself now, and I'm much happier and I make more money. So Good job. Great. Fandom side, um, I'm involved with a lot of local cons, and I got really frustrated with them because you'd go in, you'd have like a diversity panel that was all white, or a STEM panel that was all old white men. And so I got really frustrated, and I, that's why I started doing my own events, so I could go in and say, hey, if you're going to have a panel at my event, you're going to have at least two women, you're going to have at least two people of color, please have more if you can, and we're going to talk all about issues like representation, or running for public office, or using geek art as protest, things that we can use for marginalized people to make a difference in their lives. Because, let's be honest, girls, you know, we're talking about all this great stuff up here, but legally, women are still not equal in America because the Equal Opportunity Act has never been passed, right? So we're still not officially equal. I mean, people who work regular jobs, well, actually, even actors know that because, you know, I'm not talking out of school here. Girls didn't get paid as much as the boys on our show, right? So, and women earn 80, 80 cents on the dollar, usually. So we're still not equal, um, still have a ways to go. Hopefully by November that will change. But anyway, um, let's see what happens. We have, a, we have about, well, about five minutes left, apparently. Uh, can I, I wanted to talk about the, uh, yeah, diversity and inclusion. Yes, go right ahead. I wanted to see if anyone had anything they wanted to add in our last five minutes, and maybe we can get a question or two. Yeah, so I, I work in the nerd space, and working for Nerdist and uh, being a part of the Geek and Sundry family, um, I found like a, you know, two groups, well, one shared family that has two different faces to it that is very much... Um, excited about diversity and make, making like actual steps towards becoming more inclusive and diverse. And the things I see outside of that, and even before I got to Nerdist, um, made me, v- it was hard for me to kind of 
accept and be open about my fandom for a long time because because of those comments like the Lyft driver and a lot of comments that were much worse and I don't even feel like sharing and bringing you all down today. But I, I just, I, I'm not sure how to say this besides that um, representation, it's not just about like having, I think, you know, I think we were talking before about like, uh, it's not just about having like you, you know your couple of people on the panels and stuff. It's that, and it's also once you open up the doors, or once someone gets through who is diverse and different from you, actually listening to them, right. actually including them, yeah. um, celebrating them, uh, hearing their ideas and implementing them. Um, I can't tell you how many spaces I've been in before where I'm just there to be a token. Yeah. And I think this past year, I've always been like very um, passionate about inclusion and diversity, but this year was the year that I finally was like, I am not doing anything if it is not also hand in hand with inclusion. Mm -hmm. Diversity without inclusion is tokenism. So no more, no more of that. Thank you, that was awesome. I agree completely. It's been a struggle, you know, in, in bringing these panels to to geek spaces. You know, we've thankfully been here doing this panel for over ten years. Um, and but in other places and other conventions, you know, if you're in the audience and you think I could go up there and talk on stage, I could go do a panel on women. Please do it. You know, we we want to be able to see more women hosting, more women. You know, just helping facilitate fandom and facilitating like the love that we have here for each other. Star Trek conventions started in the '70s. They were organized by women, they were led by women, and women in other cities heard about them and said, I wanna do that, so they did. These women shared the information on how to do it, and that's, that led to Star Trek conventions being everywhere for years. You can do it, if you wanna do it, do it. Talk to women, get information, talk to organizers, and get up on stage and, and speak out, because everyone's voice, if there's anything Star Trek teaches us, is that it's everyone's voice is worth listening to. And you have, you know, I reached out to Mary on Twitter and I said, you know, I'd really love for you to be part of this and you were very excited and you said, you know, I think, I think not only myself but the other ladies on Discovery, you know, very excited. And Marina, you've been doing these panels for a while and the fact that everybody says yes to this, you know, just and saying yes to other women and saying yes to each other. And if you're a man saying yes to having a woman at your convention or a woman, you know, a panel there, then that's important. So, I, you know, I think that that's, you know, speaking to what Eliza was saying about creating those spaces for each other, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, the six of us. It's like everybody out here, you all have the opportunity to do that. So, did we, I think maybe we have time for like two questions. Yeah. <laughs> maybe three, if they let us. Would we have questions? I can't see very well. We start one there, oh. one there. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Uh, this is for Marina. I've been waiting my whole life to say thank you. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, before my parents divorced, um, the one thing that we would do together as a family is watch Star Trek The Next Generation. And I remember watching Deanna Troy handle very tense conflict. Uh, conflict and handling it so beautifully and I remember thinking as a child that is what I will aspire to be and I have become a healer oh my god and I could not have done that without Troy I have to give her a hug okay Aww. when you cry I have to give you a hug come over here come over here. I'm come glad on, we got up. to you over here go quickly See, changing lives. 
All right, well, over here. Okay. One more. That was it. No, 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 no more of that, because then I'll be crying. Okay. okay. So, right. Hi, Marina. This is also for you as oh, well. Oh, shoot. Don't cry. It's a love fest it's for Marina. I'm not going to make you okay. cry. You don't have to run over here. You're fine. Um, I just uh, I want to preface this by letting you know that in 1958, my parents, my brothers, my sister emigrated from a small town in northern Greece called Marina. Tikan is Mori. <laughs> Do you speak I, Greek? Actually, you've got rubbish parents. No, That's I all don't. I've got to say. And thank you for saying it's their fault and not mine, because it is. Yeah, it's, it's their fault. Uh, absolutely. And bless you for that. Uh, my, my question is, when I was growing up, I was born in Canada. I was born in Toronto four years after they immigrated. Yay, yay Canada. I hear you out there. And um, I grew up feeling the conflict of being trapped between two cultures, between the Canadian culture that and was more open and more progressive and the very strict um, patriarchal Greek actually, culture. Actually, you say that, but it's actually a matriarchal society, Greece. It wasn't my dad who said, you can't go out with boys. It was my mum <laughs> who said, you yeah. I mean, I had a Victorian upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, you probably had the very strict up. Yeah, they're going to have yes. to wait until we're done, all right? Till I've answered this Thank question. Thank you. Just shut <laughs> Sorry, guys, up this until I'm important. done. <laughs> don't you break in on me. I'll come over there. You don't want that. Um, but that's how I grew up. I grew up. I mean, basically, once I was home from school, the door was locked. I was not allowed out the that house. That was my life, right. too. Right, okay. And, and what I was going to ask you is that conflict, because you're living now in North America, that conflict between cultures. Well, I said you... no to it. I said no to it. I, I, did, I was one of those hot... I was, um, I was the Greek girl with no Greek friends because the mothers of the other girls wouldn't let them be my friend. <laughs> Because I was the bad Greek girl. <laughs> Troublemaker. I, I'm the grade two dropout of Greek school, so right. I hear you. Right. I was going to ask you if that conflict is, uh, it was ever used in, in exploring that relationship for Troy being half human and half Betazoid. Did you use that? I did. Actually, I did use that because we both had crazy mothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, my relationship with Loxana was the same as my relationship with my mother. I loved her the most when she was in a different galaxy. <laughs> and I loved my mother the most when I was in America and she was in Europe. Um, but no, it did. And it does actually... I, I honestly believe that part of my strength came from that background mm -hmm. because I did say no. Yes. And I said, I'm sorry, this is my life. And... I, my mother had an arranged marriage. I mean, that's how old school they were. I said no to that one. Well, they did it to me when yeah. I was 19. They said, we found a lovely boy for you. I went, really? <laughs> and they said, yeah, um, you know, he ticked all the boxes. Because basically I was at drama school and it was like the worst thing that could happen that I would be an actress. Because <laughs> when I said I want to be an actress, my mum heard I want to be a prostitute. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, I said to this woman, the matchmaking lady, uh, excuse me, do you think I'm ugly? And she said, no, you're lovely. And I said, well, if I'm so lovely, don't you think I can find my own effing husband? <laughs> and my mother, get in the house, get in the house. And she, but she never did it again because I had humiliated her in front of her friend. So that was where my strength, I think my mother saying no to me my whole life mm -hmm. 
and trying to control me yes. made me who I am today. So even, you know, mum, we fought like cat and dog our whole lives, but thank you at the end of the day, right? We unfortunately have to wrap up, but if you see us around the convention this weekend, please continue the conversation. And just if anybody wants to wrap it up oh, by saying quickly. Wait a second, wait a second. Julia, where are you? Julia, she's giving crochet lessons today, this weekend. <laughs> I said I'd give her a shout out. Woo! She's giving yeah. crochet lessons. And if we want to talk where we're going to be next and where the audience can find us, and then we're just going to wrap up and thank you so much. So go right ahead, Mary. Are we going to be able to see you yes, soon? Yes, you will see me tomorrow with you. <laughs> at, the, me, at the Shakespeare panel tomorrow. Yeah, Shakespeare and Star And we're going to see Laurel in season two. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, that, yes. That yeah. kind of one are we going to see you. <laughs> I'm going to How about you, Eliza? that patriarchy. Uh, I'm, I'm on the internet at Eliza Pearl. Um, my uh, Geek and Sundry uh, Star Trek RPG game just finished up. We finished it, but we're starting a new one. You can watch it all, though, online. And I am just cooking up some fun, independent sci-fi stuff that hopefully we'll see the light of day soon. Awesome. Sarah, how about you? Uh, I'm Sarah Miyoko on Twitter, Amazon Mary, I-Y-O-K-O. And yeah, find me at the con. Say hi. Let's talk. And Sue, we know where to find you, but give us the pitch. <laughs> I will be at uh, the Roddenberry booth pretty much all weekend. And we have a Roddenberry Network panel on Saturday talking about the history of fandom. And if anybody's going to be in Atlanta over Labor Day weekend, I've got 16 panels at DragonCon. Um, one of which is, actually two of which, focus on the uh, herstory of fandom. So, and I'm Amy Imhoff. You can find me at Lightstar1013 on Twitter and Instagram, and Shoes and Starships, which I've been neglecting, and, and uh, Legion of Leia also, and StarTrek.com very soon. Oh, and by the way, I keep forgetting to tell my fans I have an app, and it's free. You can, yeah, I'm an app. I know, I'm beside myself. Um, so, yeah, go to Marina Surdis app, wherever you get your apps, and download it. It's all free. Okay? Awesome. Thank you, you. Thank you guys so much. This was awesome. Thank you for coming. If you'd like to contact Women at Warp, you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Women at Warp. For more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash womenatwarp or by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us.